Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. So good to see you today. Glad you've chosen to worship with us. Um, it's been so very encouraging to see week by week more and more uh, people coming here to join us for worship and to hear God's Word taught and to uh, jump in and serve. And if this is your first Sunday with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you, and we hope you'll find us warm and welcoming, and if God so leads, that. Uh, we hope that uh, you'll find a home here uh, with us. One of the things we want you to know about us is that most often on Sunday mornings, you'll find us teaching our way through whole books of the Bible or long passages of Scripture. We just finished up a study in the New Testament book of James, and next Sunday, we're going to start a new series that we've entitled Royalty, and uh, it comes from the books of Samuel and Kings. And specifically, we're looking at Israel's first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. And we'll look at Saul this spring, David next spring, and Solomon in 2025. So this is kind of a multi-year strategy to work our way through these books. But today, before we start a new series, um, I want to push pause and look at a passage of Scripture that I've been noodling on for uh, some time now. It's a Scripture that the Apostle Paul uh, he talks about how we, as followers of Jesus, are put here by God to be on mission with him. In fact, God has called every one of us here today and watching online to be partners with him in the work he's doing in the world today. And Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, so you can take your copy of uh, Scripture, uh, paper or digital, find your way there. So I'm going to look at this passage, and then what I want to do is give you, uh, I want to talk about some of the ways that we have partnered with God in the past and give you some updates on some of those things. And then I'm going to talk about something that God may be inviting us to partner with him in, in the future. So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, beginning in verse 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I'm going to begin with an overview of these verses, and then we're going to come back and walk our way through it. Paul begins this letter in the typical way that letters were written back then, basically he's saying, from Paul to God's church in Corinth. And Paul wrote this letter about 55 AD, not long after he had planted that particular congregation. And in these nine verses, Paul talks about how he views himself and also how he viewed the church, the church. Um, the Isthmus of Corinth is a, is a strip of land that is perfectly located as a major trading center on the Mediterranean Sea. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was known as 
uh, the sin city of the Mediterranean. And so Paul strategically planted this church in a major city with international influence from which the gospel could take root and then spread across the known world at that time. And in these opening verses, Paul sets the tone for what he wants to talk about in the letter and for the claims that he's gonna make uh, on, the, on this Corinthian church. Now, interestingly enough, immediately after this warm, uh, welcoming greeting here, uh, beginning in verse 10 and going down to verse 17, we learn that Paul is addressing a divided church where the tensions where there are tensions in the church between various factions within the church. Later in the letter, in chapter 5, he's going to call them out for sexual immorality going on in the church. Uh, Then in chapter 6, we're going to hear how church members were taking each other to court. And then Paul also rebukes them for showing preference to wealthy members in the church when they observe the Lord's Supper. And on top of all of that, he calls them out, for, their arrogant, for the arrogant arguments about the gifts of the Spirit that's going on in the church. I'm, and I'm telling you, this church is a mess. Now, by the way, sometimes you hear people criticize the church. They say it's full of hypocrites. And uh, I said, well, why don't you come join us? But anyway. Um, or, they, or we're criticized because we fail to fulfill our God-given mission in the world. And some say, we just need to get back to the early church. And I'm not saying that some of the criticisms aren't valid, and I'm not denying the fact that the church has, at times, failed to fulfill its mission. But But the church in Corinth was one of those early churches, and it was a hot mess. And I'm not sure I'd want to go back to that. But God used it anyway. All right, so that's kind of a little bit of an overview and some background. Now, I want to go back and unpack this a bit more. Now, one of the things that I, I love about Scripture is that when uh, to listen to Scripture is to overhear a conversation uh, between God and God's people at a time and a place that is uh, very different from our own, and you, we listen to Scripture and we read Scripture with the conviction that God's going to use that Scripture to speak to us in our time and place. And so when we gather on Sundays, we gather with the expectation that the Holy Spirit will will work in and through the ancient biblical text to reveal something to us here today. Now, I just highlighted some of the problems that plagued God's church in Corinth, and I'm extremely thankful that, as far as I'm aware, we're not plagued with those same divisive kinds of issues. But it is true, as in most churches, we're not all the same. We come from different backgrounds. We've had different um, experiences in life, different educations um, that, uh, that have shaped us different, differently. We have different personalities and preferences, and we have different opinions and perspectives on all kinds of things, I mean, from parenting and politics to sports, music, worship styles, all kinds of things. We have these differences. And I do take some comfort in the fact that knowing that differences and diversities of perspectives and opinions and some non-essential beliefs, they've been present in the church going all the way back to 55 AD. The question is, how does a diverse group of people with all of our differences, how do we make sure that our differences don't divide us? And Paul is going to give us at least one reason. I'm sure there's quite a few reasons for that, uh, that w- things we can do. But he's going to talk to us about one particular thing. Now, so let's go back and walk through these nine verses to see what the Holy Spirit wants us to see 
in the ancient text that can be applied to our lives today. Um, so before Paul launches into these painful confrontations over the mess in the congregation, he opens by reminding the Corinthians of who he is and who they are in Christ. First verse. This letter is from Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I got my brother Sosthenes here with me. So right here, first verse, first chapter, a first letter to the Corinthians. Paul identifies himself as one called by God. In other words, he's not a self-made Christian. He's writing to this church and he's giving them guidance and correction, not as a free agent or because he has something he just wants to get off his chest, but Paul writes to them as one who's been called and put here by God, given a job to do, and his authority is not that he's smarter or better than the rest of the church. He's writing to one who has been called to speak these kinds of things to them. And Paul writes as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostle means one who has, is sent. And God had sent Paul to help plant the church in Corinth. And, and he, he had been doing that and he's continuing to do that. But he's writing under a commission. Paul's accountable to something larger than himself. And that something is the mission of Christ. Now, later in the letter, he'll do some tough talking to the Corinthians, but it's not because he's angry with them or he wants power over them. He's not like some freelance journalist, but he's writing as one under orders. That's where we get the term ordained. An ordained person is one who is under orders, called by, by God. And Paul greets the church, and he mentions that he's got his brother Sosthenes here, and uh, Sosthenes is a fellow disciple. He's not actual kin to Paul. Uh, this, is, this guy was a stranger to Paul, not part of his family. But now, because he has put his faith and trust in Christ, just like Paul did, and because of Christ's call on his life, now Sosthenes is looked at as Paul's brother in Christ. And so to be called by Christ is to be a disciple who is also at the same time put in the church where perfect strangers become your siblings, become your brothers and sisters in Christ. And to be a Christian is to be put by God into this new family called God's church. And so that's what, uh, Paul, who Paul writes to, to God's church that's in Corinth. It's not St. Paul's church, even though he started it. It's not the Corinthians church. No, the congregation was founded, sustained, and accountable to God, and God is the one who established the church in the first place. And that means it would be really good for us to regularly remind ourselves that this church, Fellowship Greenville, it's God's church. It's not my church. It's not our leader's church. It's not your church. And that's why, in, in, in some ways, it's kind of out of bounds to say, well, here's what I'm looking for in the church, or here's what I expect my church to be. Because the question really always needs to be, what does God, who established this church, want for his church? He goes on to talk about uh, who God has made the Corinthians to be. He says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place who call upon the name of the Lord. Now, again, the emphasis is on what God has done for us. God has sanctified us, made us holy, simply means he set us apart for himself, 
And he has called us to himself. He's called us together to be together as a part of a family. And we are family members, brothers and sisters with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord. So by the action of God in Christ, we are owned and we are named and claimed. That's the only appropriate way to ever use the word name it and claim it. God has named us and claimed us. And we've been summoned and commissioned and commandeered, enlisted, activated, mobilized by God to be his people on mission. Now, verse four, he says, and he says, because of all of that, I thank my God always for you. And as your pastor, I just want you to know that I, I thank God every day for you. Every day, every day. Because God has poured out his grace on you and he's called you to himself through Christ and he's called you to be here with us in this time and in this place. We belong to God and we belong to each other. So in a very real sense, I see you as God's gift, a gift to me, a gift to the leaders, a gift to the whole church. And, uh, and I just want you to know how very, very thankful I am that I've got to spend 26 years here with you and, and hopefully a whole lot longer. As those who have been set apart and called by God, Paul says that the Corinthians have also been given gifts. And why have we been given gifts? So that, well, let's look at that first. He says in verse four, he says, they have been given the grace of God in Christ. Verse five, they've been enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge so that, verse six, they were not lacking in any gift. Now that's, uh, that's kind of ironic that he talks about spiritual giftedness here, especially how Paul's gonna end up hammering them in the rest of his letter particularly for their misunderstanding and abuse of spiritual gifts. But what, what, uh, what Paul implies here is that with the gift of God's calling you into relationship with Christ comes the expectation for how the gifted will use their gifts. God's holy people, made holy by the grace of God, not our own decisions, are called to live out our calling in a culture that's not holy. And one of the ways we put Jesus on display in the world is by living out what it means to be called and commissioned by Christ to be on mission with Christ, which raises the question, so it, why are we called and gifted? Jesus calls us to himself. He forms us into one body, his church. He gives us gifts. Why? Well, Paul tells us down in verse 9. He says, you were called by him into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I like how the ESV translates that, the fellowship of his son. Sounds like the fellowship of the ring for those Tolkien uh, folks in here. But Now, what you need to understand, though, is this term, fellowship, is like a two-sided coin. It has a double meaning. And I've read this verse many, many times, and I used to see it as a simple statement of fact that I, me, as an individual have been called by God into a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's true, right? Absolutely true. But that's not what Paul has in mind when he says we've been called into, put into the fellowship of his son. He's not talking personal here. He's talking uh, communal here, like Jim talked about last week. 
I was reading a, a book a, a few weeks back, and uh, there was a quote in the book that I really liked by a pastor, a uh, Methodist pastor named uh, Will Williman, who for years and years was the chaplain at Duke University. And this is what he writes, again, in sync with what Jim said last week. He says, too often the North American church has made the gospel a message for isolated individuals, something personal that's of interest mainly as a solution to personal problems. I think that is so insightful and is so right on. Now, he's not saying the gospel isn't personal. Of course it's personal. And he's not saying that the gospel doesn't address personal problems. Of course it addresses personal problems. But he is saying that our personal relationship with Christ is to be lived out in community. It's a communal relationship we, where we live with and among the people of God, using our gifts to build each other up in Christ. Paul did not write this letter to one person. He wrote to a group. He wrote to a church, a community of faith. And when God calls us to himself at the moment of salvation, we are put into the fellowship of the Son. Paul's talking about us the fellowship we enjoy with God and with one another despite our differences, God's called us into fellowship with one another. Fellowship Greenville is a local expression of the fellowship of the Son. That's the first side of the coin. The flip side of the coin of fellowship carries the idea of partnership. So second, we are in partnership. We're in fellowship with the Son, but we're also in partnership. The word fellowship carries both these meanings. In other words, we, as the fellowship of the Son, are called into partnership with the Son. That's us. We're partners with Christ in the work that he's doing on the world, and we are been made partners by Christ's call on our lives. So again, to be in fellowship with the Son is to be in partnership with the Son. Two sides of the same coin. Now, to me, that's a mind-blowing thought that the God of the universe would actually call us to be his partners in his work in, in the world. That Jesus, our Savior, the Savior of the world, would call us to be partners with him on mission. He calls us to be, to be partners on mission with him. That's what it that's what co-mission means. Co with. We are partners with. Jesus, commissioned, uh, and, and I want you to think about this. And we're on mission because he's called us to it. I want you to think about this. Uh, how do you explain your presence here this morning? Uh, it's, 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 it's easy to simply think, well, I'm here because I love the worship, or I'm here because of the teaching, uh, or I, I'm here because it's so warm and welcoming and I feel right home, or I'm here because of the awesome children's ministry and student ministry, or I'm here because two of the teaching pastors have tattoos. Um, I don't, I, you know, we have, all of us have all of these, different, uh, these different things going on in our minds, but do you see something that's common in all of those? Basically, we're saying, I'm here because of me, because of my reasons, my choices, my preferences, and I get that. I'm not saying that's wrong necessarily, but could it be that you are here together with us because in all kinds of other ways, God put you here. God put you here. 
Most of the time, that we, 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 we simply think of our lives as the sum total of all of our human choices and decisions, and there's truth in that. I mean, our choices have consequences. Yes, that's true. But as someone who's been set apart by God and called by God, could it be that your life and your unique gifts given you by God is actually the sum total of God's choosing you and calling you and putting you here with us at this time and in this place. Like this week, if someone were to ask you, how did you decide to become a part of Fellowship Greenville? You could respond in all seriousness and by saying, I didn't. God put me here. God put me here. And if that's true, and it is, then we need to ask the question, what does it mean? What does it look like to be in partnership with God in this fellowship of God? And it means one thing, and that is this. Partnering with God involves looking for where God is working so we can join him there. It means partnering with God in where he's working so we can join him there. Now, by the way, that's a great definition of one of our core values, which is pneumatic decision-making. Pneuma is the Greek word for spirit, and pneumatic it talks about a process. It talks about our walk with God as, a, as walking in the spirit or led by the spirit, and so as elders and pastors and staff members, in fact, for all of us, partnering with God is a pneumatic walk with God. Looking for where the Spirit of God is working, and when he shows us where he's working, we move with him in that direction. And if you've been here any length of time, if you've been through our new members class, this is something that you've heard about it because it's core to who we are and how we do ministry. I talked about it in both my uh, prayer and healing messages from the book of James a couple of weeks back. I talked about how praying in Jesus' name means approaching life and ministry in the same way Jesus did life and ministry. And that was Jesus ne never did anything by his own initiative. He always looked for where the Father was working, and he followed the Spirit's leading to join the Father in his work. That is our model of ministry. So I want to give you some past examples where the leadership of this church felt led by the Spirit to join God in something he was doing, and then I want to give you some updates about those things. And... Uh, and, and, and I'm going to give you four of them. And then, as I said at the beginning, I'm going to give you an example. I'm going to give you a, 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 an opportunity, tell you about an opportunity that God may be inviting us into. The first thing I want to talk about is the third service. The elders had been talking about the need to add a, 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 thir a third service for over five years. The primary reason was uh, to create space so more people could enjoy the worship experience and uh, that you enjoy each Sunday and then everything else that you experience during the week. Uh, we talked and prayed and researched the idea of doing a Saturday night service, but for various reasons, we didn't sense the Spirit leading in that direction, and we talked about going back to a third Sunday morning service, um, but, uh, we, which we did in the past, but uh, what we had learned in the past is that, that there's two um, not-so-optimal times 
uh, in, a thir- in three services on Sunday morning. In other words, one is just a little too early and one is a little too late, and so everybody tries to cram in the middle service, uh, which just doesn't work. So we didn't sense God leading us back to an 8.30, 10, 11.30 Sunday schedule. But after much prayer and uh, conversation, we began to pursue the idea of a late afternoon service on Sunday, and we came to the point where we believed that a five o'clock service was what God wanted us to do, but we couldn't figure out how to pull it off. And we had multiple meetings with staff and directors and all of that kind of thing, filling up whiteboards with all of the conflicts and obstacles and reasons that it wouldn't work. And, uh, but I tell you, I want to brag on our staff. They were like, none of them were like, oh, this isn't going to work. Everybody was going, we'll figure this out. We'll figure this out. Now, listen, it's not uncommon when you partner with God that very often he will show you what he wants you to do before he shows you how to do it. Because the how requires you to trust God as you follow him into the unknown. I'm going to call that partnership lesson number one. When you partner with God, it is not uncommon for him to show you what he wants you to do before he shows you how he wants you to do it. You figure out the what. You don't let all the questions about how keep you from really seeking God about the what. When he shows you the what, you can trust him that he'll show you the how. Anyway, to make a long story short, we now have a third service at 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. We're two weeks in, and both weeks we've averaged over 100 uh, people in Auditorium 2. And I'm telling you, it's not, a, it's not just exactly like Sunday morning, uh, our Sunday morning services. It feels like a Sunday morning service. So I want to encourage you, come check it out if you can. Uh, consider giving up your Sunday morning seat to make room for guests Uh, that are coming every week, and it's kind of interesting. Last week, we were about 200 less in our morning services, which that was encouraging, like, oh, a bunch of people are coming on Sunday night, plus the fact I met a whole bunch of people who were there on Sunday night. It was the first time they'd ever been to Fellowship Greenville because they work in the morning, and they, they didn't have an option for coming to a church like ours. So look for where God is working, and when he shows you what he's doing, uh, join him there, Move in that direction without having all the I's dotted and T's crossed, and you'll see God show up and do great things. Now, back in 2012, we sensed that God was leading us to plant a church towards downtown. We had a team with a lead pastor and a worship pastor who were eager to get the church up and going, so we felt led to do something really crazy. And this wasn't the first time that I felt led to do something similar to this, but we wanted to launch these guys in ministry and not have them worry about their finances so they could concentrate on doing ministry rather than working a part-time job or raising support. So we did a five-week fundraising program to secure, to provide secure financial foundation to plant this church. We felt led to set a goal of raising $500,000 in five weeks, and God showed up. And this church gave over a million dollars to launch City Lights. And that blew us all away. And let me just say again, I am so very thankful for you and your consistent generosity that has allowed us to partner 
and with God in things like City Lights and just so many other things during the year. So exciting. City Lights was launched under the care and guidance of our elders here. One of our elders at, uh, from uh, Fellowship went with them to start that church, and, as well as another faithful church member who served as a, a, a lay leader, ministry leader. And we eventually found property on the Swamp Rabbit Trail that we were able to secure. We were very excited about that. Our intention, by the way, was never for City Lights to be a campus. It was more like a plant and release. We would oversee them for about five years, and then we would release them to be on their own. It was that kind of situation. And they met for a while at the Camelot Theater, which was less than ideal, but they made it work. But then sadly, a situation arose that called for the lead pastor to step down, which to put it mildly was just devastating for all of us. I met, with, for, met for many months with their elders, helping them to kind of regroup and reestablish the church. I talked, spent time talking with disheartened members, encouraging them that God wasn't finished with City Lights. It was a lot to deal with. But Oliver Wong, who had been on staff at City Lights as the number two guy, he stepped up to the lead role, and our elders helped them establish a new elder board, which is still functioning today, and I continue to mentor and meet with Oliver, and he's growing into a good, solid pastor and, and Bible teacher. Now, here's a picture of their homepage and their mission statement. Followers of Jesus devoted to seeing family, neighbors, and nations met with the gospel. They are meeting, currently meeting in a renovated space just off of North Pleasantburg Road, slightly west of and almost across the street from Bob Jones. And they have about 150 family members and their Sunday attendance is running around 200. And also over the years, uh, we've been in discussion with several developers looking for, uh, looking to find a partner uh, to work with City Lights to get the church a permanent home on the Swamp Rabbit property as we originally intended. And, uh, we've, and things have been up and down and up and down. But I, I, I can tell you now, I think we found that partner. And, uh, and things are now underway, putting together a plan to begin uh, working on the Swamp Rabbit Mill property. And we're very excited to see what God will do in all of this. Here's partnership principle number two. When you partner with God, it's not uncommon for things to not work out the way that you expected. When you partner with God, things don't always work out the way you expect. Sometimes God takes you down a path and there are detours and disappointments on that path, but that doesn't mean that God's not working and that doesn't mean that you made a mistake. It just means God is doing something different than you expected. You can check City Lights out at citylights.cc. Back in the fall of 2019, Karen and I traveled to Berlin, Germany, and uh, I'd been asked to come over there and preach at Crossway International Baptist Church for five Sundays at, in October. And while we were there, we stayed in the home of uh, two career missionaries, Franz and Christy Martins, who had a ministry called Fully Equipped Oasis, and it was a ministry where uh, they opened their home and provided care and counsel and rest to missionaries who were experiencing burnout. And I was so impressed with them and uh, the unique ministry that God had brought together through them. I came back here and I presented them to our missional impact team and we began supporting them 
and their ministry. A year after uh, I was there, Franz informed me that um, due to some IRS requirement, it would necessitate them coming back to the States and living in the States a year before they could go back. So when they returned to the States, they came here to Greenville and they became a part of Fellowship Greenville. And Franz and Christy jumped into a community group. Franz started a men's Bible study. They served in all kinds of different areas around the church. And we saw up close and personal the caliber of the folks they, they were. And they were, they were really baptized into the DNA, which is our, how we do church here. And uh, when it came time for them to return to Berlin, I was excited because Franz talked about how he wanted to start a church. He wanted to plant a church in Potsdam, which is a, a, a beautiful college town southwest of Berlin. And one of our other missionaries in Berlin, Chad and Cherry Gefeller, were going to go, uh, were, were there already, and they were going to help with uh, the new church startup. Now, Crossway International Baptist in Berlin is their sponsoring church. But, but, but we are their sending church, and you re- may remember that we prayed for them before they li- left. February 27th was the one-year anniversary of the new church, which they named Fellowship Potsdam. I was really excited about that. The congregation is English-speaking, and it's made up of international students from India, Pakistan, Nigeria, Ghana, Germany, Russia, Tunisia, and Vietnam. And they have families attending from Germany, Nigeria, Brazil, and the U.S. Average age is about 25, and they have about 25 to 30 in attendance. And Fellowship Potsdam is infused with our DNA. You can kind of see there's a little bit of a, a similarity there. But they do expositional teaching, team-oriented approach to teaching and leadership, heartfelt worship, pneumatic decision-making, discipleship and equipping focused. And this is kind of cool. Franz and a, and, a, and a team of people there in Berlin and the Potsdam area, they have taken many trips to the Ukraine carrying food and clothes and other essentials to people in need. Now I want you to think about that. Do you see how God was working over the course of several years leading us to ultimately partner with Franz and Christie? Opening doors, closing doors, bringing me over there, bringing them over here so we could partner together in, with God in this new work that he obviously wanted begun in Potsdam. Partnership lesson number three. When you partner with God, he often works in ways you cannot imagine to show you that it really is his work, not yours. He shows us that it really is his work. Because he works in all kinds of unexpected ways. You can check out Fellowship Potsdam at fellowshippotsdam.org. Back in the spring of 2021, in our 2021 State of the Church Address, we announced that we were going to implement a different kind of succession plan here at Fellowship Greenville that would culminate in us bringing on our next directional pastor. That's I'm, I'm currently the directional leader, directional pastor, but we're going to do this plan to bring on someone else. Now, when I was asked about retirement, when the elders asked me about what I was, what I was thinking about retirement, I said, I'm not thinking about it. I didn't get in ministry to retire. But I did see the need to bring on a younger man who would take the mantle of leadership, but I 
wanted to stay on uh, and my role as, t- as teaching pastor, as a teaching pastor. It's a different kind of succession plan. Um, Jason Malone had been here uh, for 10 years back in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was our high school student pastor, and of course, he was our first pastor of announcements. It was a low-paying position on staff, but it was well worth the uh, $20 a week that we gave him to do that. But um, uh, at, the end of 20, uh, at the end of 2006, Jason left us to start um, Summit Church, which now has four campuses here in the upstate. And for the 15 years that he was at Summit, he and I met on a regular basis to talk about ministry and preaching, and we just wanted to keep our relationship current. And we talked about our mutual desire to uh, start some kind of church planting residency program, and we what if a lot, like what if Fellowship and Summit partnered together in a work like that. And when the topic of succession came up, I told him about the different kind of succession plan we sensed God leading us to implement. And uh, he said, well, has my name ever come up? And I said, yeah, it came up twice, but I killed it both times. Um, (laughs) But to make a long story shorter, uh, Jason came on staff back in August of 2021 uh, to be our pastor of, of vision and spiritual formation. And the plan was and is to have a two-year entrance ramp here at Fellowship so that in January 2024, we will vote on Jason to become the next uh, directional pastor. And I know you've enjoyed getting to know him. I know you've enjoyed his humor. I've heard um, lots of encouraging things from you about his messages. But what you don't know and you can't see is this. I, I have been slowly turning things over to him bit by bit. Like I basically said to him three months in, why don't you take staff meeting? And he stepped in. And then after another month or two, I said, why don't you take executive team meeting because you're the pastor of vision. So he stepped into that. I asked him to lead the way in starting our third service. Um, He's the point man for UCC, which is the Upstate Church Collective which is our discipleship, leadership, church planting strategy that we're doing in partnership with Summit and our junior partner, Griggs Memorial. And by the way, in, in this past January, we kicked off our second year of what we call Track One, and we've got 130 participants and coaches meeting every Sunday night in UCC, which is really ex- incredible. But I'm telling you, Jason is knocking it out of the park in all of these things and more. So in January 2024, the church will vote on Jason to become the next directional pastor. I'll still be here full time. I'm not going anywhere. I'll still be doing the same amount of teaching that I'm doing now, doing pretty much the same kinds of things that I'm doing now because if Jason were to absorb everything that I'm doing on top of all the things that he's doing, then he wouldn't be able to do the things that we've tasked him to do because It's too big of a job for one person. So what I want you to see here is partnership lesson number four, and that is when you partner with God, it may take longer than you think to see his plans and purposes come to pass. You know, who would have thought back in 1998 when Jason came here right out of Cedarville that he would be back here today as our next directional pastor? I mean, that's just crazy stuff. And really, none of the things I've I've mentioned this morning happened overnight. 
There were years of looking for where God was working so we could join him in those things. There were seeming impossibilities to overcome. There were detours and disappointments and setbacks along the way. But God faithfully showed up in unexpected ways, and that's what makes partnering with him in his work an adventure. I wouldn't want to do ministry any other way. Now, these are just four examples of what it means for the fellowship of the Son to be in partnership with the Son here at Fellowship Greenville. And I'm telling you, there's so many more. I could just go on and on all day long. But I want to, I'm going to close with a, 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 a final possible partnership opportunity that we want you to know about and to pray about. Over the last month or so, you may have heard us talking about what God is doing in bringing new people here to Fellowship Greenville and uh, how, how people are coming from all over the country. They're moving to South Carolina, and, and I hear, heard it again this morning. Before they get here, they found us online, and they've been watching us online for three months or six months, anticipating coming to South Carolina and being a part of Fellowship Greenville. And, it's, and it's, 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 that's truly mind-blowing. But what I'm about to tell you is even more mind-blowing than just that, and that is... That is, we have 925 more people attending service, Sunday services this year than we did at this same time last year. In other words, from 20, February 2022 to February 2023, 925 more people are here coming consistent. That's just crazy stuff. I mean, that's like growing a whole new church or two churches or three churches. Now, for the leaders and staff, we're excited and we're challenged and we're humbled that God would see fit to bring more people here to be partners with us in his work and that he would entrust to us the responsibility of caring for them and discipling them. Years and years ago when we were praying and, and seeking God uh, about what to consider next, a wise counselor asked us this question. He said, if God were to bring you more people, would you create the space to care for and disciple them? What a great question. If God were to bring more people here, will you figure out a way to create more space to care for them and disciple them? I mean, if God were to bring us more people, if God were to entrust us with more people to care for and disciple, how do you say no to that? If it's truly God's church. Partnership principle number five. When God shows you what he's doing, the right response is, okay, how can we join you in that work? If he shows us what he's doing, how do we, then, the, then our question is, how do we join you in that work? In other words, when, when God shows you what he's doing, that's our invitation to join him there. I learned that from Henry Blackaby way back in the 90s. It changed my whole view of how ministry should be done from that day to this. The, the, and the thing is, now, God is bringing and keeps on bringing folks through our doors. So the question is, how will we create space to care for and disciple, and disciple them? And so the elders began 
uh, praying and seeking God regarding what it means to create more space so more people can enjoy and benefit from uh, what you experience here on Sundays and, and all through the week. And, and we talked uh, about building a building on the back of the property up in the tree line, had architects work with us a little bit on what that might look like and how we would use that space. The question was, how can we maximize every square inch of this property? And despite the challenges of things like parking and traffic and all that, uh, it's still a possibility, even though it's not ideal. Still a possibility. He can show us how to do that. But as we were talking about creating space, we learned that the YMCA had put their Adams Mill property up for sale. And you probably recognize that building if you've been down 14 in, in that way. And here's an aerial view of the entire 25 acres and where it sits. And I want you to notice all the neighborhoods right around it. Anyway, they put it up for sale. Uh, they actually didn't put it up for sale. They put it out for bid, meaning no one knew how much they were hoping to get. They were just going to take bids through the month of December. And in and working with our realtor based on current property values and land and building, he suggested that we make an offer of $5.5 million, even though a property like that is pretty hard to uh, appraise. And we did learn that a developer, before they'd ever put it out for bid, a developer had offered them $5 million and they turned him down. One of the things that we talked uh, to the Y about was that if God worked in a way for us to obtain the property we would be open for the foreseeable future to allow the Y to continue their kids' sports activities there on Saturdays and during weekdays, especially in the summer, as long as they maintained the property. And they were uh, really encouraged and excited about that. And so when the elders uh, met to discuss an offer, we had prayed about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. And after the discussion... We came to a unanimous decision that it seemed good to us and what we could discern from the Spirit to offer $5.5 million, again with the offer uh, to let them continue to use the fields and with the stipulation that if we won the bid, we would need 120 days to work with our architect and developer to get a solid estimate of the cost to renovate the building because if the numbers came in, Large, and we didn't have faith to move forward. Then we want that that then it's over, and we wanted to be able to get out of it. But then also we know that if the say say the numbers come in and they're going, we have faith. Let's stretch for this. Then it has to be presented to the church for approval. You see. Well, long story short, I've been saying that a lot, lot today. But but we won the bid, and get this. Even though we won the bid, even though they had bids higher than ours, and they graciously gave us the 120 days of due diligence, which is just unheard of, but it seemed to us that God had given us favor in their eyes. And so this past week, we met with architects and the process of calculating the cost, counting the cost has begun, and here's how we would use that building. Initially, at first, the Adams Mill property would simply be another Sunday morning venue. 
Initially, we would only use the building on Sundays, but we would staff it so that we can do everything there that we do here on Sundays. Nursery, children, middle school, we need our greeters and coffee te- teams and all that. Every, everything we do on here, we, here uh, on this location, we would do at the Adams Mill location. And we would rotate a live speaker in there just like we do with Auditorium 1 and Auditorium uh, uh, 1 and 2. And, and the worship would be the same, same music, same quality, same corny jokes. You're not going to miss out on those. And our desire would be that 400 or more of you would decide to attend that campus on Sunday morning because when we look at a heat map, we got a whole bunch of members down that way. And, uh, and that would create space here if those people, if, if, if 400 or more went down there. But uh, we can also see how, let me put that picture back up of the, of the church and the neighborhoods. We would soon, we could see how very soon with all of the neighborhoods surrounding the property, how we believe that we would begin to draw people from those neighborhoods. This would not, the Adams Mill property would not be a campus like Summit has four campuses. It would not be a plant and release church like City Lights. But for the foreseeable future, it would be another Sunday morning venue. It would be like having one church in two locations. But I will say, you know, as things grow and develop, if, we, if God opens this door and things grow and develop, we are open to how, might God, how God might lead us differently later on. Now, there's a whole lot more I could say, and I know you have 100 questions, but that's all I'm going to tell you this morning. Uh, I'm simply presenting to you a possible opportunity as to how God might create more space for us to care for and disciple people he continues to bring our way here. But hear me, this is not a done deal. This is not a done deal. Say that out loud with me. This is not a done deal. One more time. This is not a done deal. We're very much in the process of looking for where God is working so we can join him there. So far, it appears that he might be, it appears that he might be opening a door for us to expand to a different property to create more space on this property, but we still have a long way to go before we can present something to you, if we present something to you. And remember, sometimes when you partner with God, he starts you on a path, but you end up somewhere different than you expected. Now, if you're wondering, okay, well, why are you even telling us this if it's not a done deal? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we want you to seek God with us. We are calling on you to pray with us. And here's the prayer that I would like for you to begin to pray. It's a simple prayer, but it's a powerful prayer. It's the same prayer the elders have prayed when opportunities like this have come up over the last 26 years, and the prayer is simply this. Heavenly Father, is this what you want for Fellowship Greenville? See, we're still asking God about the what. Is this what you want? Is this how you want us to partner with you in your work of advancing the gospel in the upstate? Is this how you want us to create more space for the people you keep bringing here? Heavenly Father, is this what you want for Fellowship Greenville? And we, our hands are open. We're not holding this like we got to have it. We got to have it. 
We're going, God, do you want us to have it? If so, you're going to have to show us. It's an open-ended prayer, but we have learned that when you pray questions like this, that you get very specific answers. God shows up, and he leads and guides. Remember, years ago, when we were first asked, if God were to bring you more people, would you create space to care for them and disciple them? Powerful question. But you can see now, the question today is, God is bringing more people here. So will we be open to creating more space to care for and disciple those people when God shows us how to do it? And the only right response that I can think of is, yeah, God, show us how you want us to partner with you. Show us how you want us to partner with you in this time and in this place for your greater glory and the highest good of your people. Would you uh, bow for prayer? I'm gonna, I, I would like for you to start praying with us about that now. So would you, would you just ask that simple, prayerful question, Heavenly Father, is this what you have for Fellowship Greenville? Take a moment of silence, and then I'm gonna have Craig O'Neill, one of our elders, come up and close us in prayer. Jesus, we are so amazed at how we see you at work here at Fellowship. As we listen to Charlie just even share just a few of the many stories of seeing your grace on display and how you are advancing the kingdom through this ministry, we are so grateful. And Lord, I ask that as we look to you, who is the head of this church, head of the universal church, we want to be obedient to you. And so as Charlie has challenged us this morning, would you help us to ask the question, not just today, but the days and weeks ahead, what is it that you want us to do? We thank you for how you are bringing so many people to this ministry, and we are gonna trust you continually to, to lead us and guide us and direct us as to how to minister to them and, and see you meet their needs. We love you, Jesus, and we just pray that you continue to put this on our hearts this week, and again, weeks to come as we look to you and trust you. Go before us this day in your name. Amen. You're dismissed and walk with Jesus.